many of you know that if God has to, he can shut the mouth of the lion that's been roaring in your life, but you've got to learn to run toward the roar. Today I want to complete the series that we began a few weeks ago that I'm calling Through the Eyes of a Lion. And we're learning how to see life, both the good and the bad of life, through the eyes of the lion of the tribe of Judah. This morning, the title of my message is Run Toward the Roar. I want to say that again, run toward the roar. As we've been in this series, I have made it a point to do quite a bit of studying about the nature of lions. One thing that I've discovered about lions is that they are good hunters, but they're not great hunters. And the reason why they're not great hunters is because lions are not the fastest animal in the jungle. And lions are not the swiftest, and neither are they the quickest animal in the jungle. And so because of that, they have to be strong in some other areas. One of the areas that lions are good at is that lions are good at blending into their environment and to their surroundings. It's easy for them to hide so that they can ambush their prey. Another thing about lions that's really a strong point about them is that lions are very patient. They will wait and wait and wait and wait for the opportune time to pounce on their prey. And then I guess probably the most powerful weapon that the lion has is the lion's roar. A lion's roar can sometimes be heard up to five miles away. I don't know what the decibels were here on our sound this morning. Usually they're under about 100. The roar of a lion reaches about 115 decibels. That's how loud the roar is. And a lion uses its roar to intimidate, to strike fear into the heart of its prey. And one of the prey that the lion likes the most are gazelles. Now, you can get ADD just by watching a gazelle. (laughs) How gazelles are fast and quick, and they can change direction at any moment. And so a lion knows that if they're going to kill a gazelle, if they're going to have a gazelle for a meal, they're going to have to be smart. And so here's what lions do. Lions run in groups called prides. Lions are really about the only social cat there is. They don't isolate themselves. They don't hunt alone. They hunt together. They work together in order to get the prey that they want, the animal that they want. And so what they will do is they will usually divide. And you'll have half of the pride that will stay back and they will hide in their surroundings, in their environment, so that the prey cannot see them. And then the other half, they will also hide, but when the prey comes between them and the other group of lions, 
then the lions who are in the front of the pack, they will suddenly rise and they will begin to roar. And when they roar, the gazelle, thinking that it's running from death, is actually running to their death. Because they are running from the roar, they are running right into the ambush that the other lions have set for them. And so what I discovered is, I discovered that for the gazelle, it would actually be smarter for them if they were to run toward the roar instead of away from the roar. Because if they would run towards the roar, then the lions would not be able to keep up with them and change directions as swiftly as the gazelle was. And their chances for survival go up significantly if they will run towards the roar instead of away from the roar. I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody here this morning and he's saying to you, run toward the roar. I know that you think you're running from death, but you're actually running to the death of your destiny. You are actually running to the death of the dream that God has given you. We need to learn how to run toward the roar. And I want you to go with me, if you would please, to Luke chapter 24 this morning. And we're going to... Read about a couple of guys, and and Luke chapter 24 is actually a passage of Scripture about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the third day, and the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene and a few other ladies have come to where Jesus was buried, and they found that the tomb is empty. And not only is the tomb empty, but there are some angels at the tomb, and the angels at the tomb announced to them that Jesus is not here, he has risen. And so Mary Magdalene and the other ladies, they go back to Jerusalem where the 11 disciples are. And here's the way that the Bible says it. The Bible says that there are 11 disciples and others that are present when these ladies come into the room and announce to them what they've just seen, what they've just heard, and what they have just experienced. That's verses 1 through 12 of Luke 24. Now we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And it says, Now behold, two of them, not two of the eleven, but two of the others. And it says that two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they've heard the announcement of these ladies out of despair, maybe even because of fear, they have decided to leave Jerusalem and go back to Emmaus. And the Bible says that as they talked together of all these things, or or they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they are walking and they're talking. Say that with me. They're walking and talking. Walking and talking. They're taking this seven-mile journey. And sometimes I don't think that we really put our feet into the shoes of these that we read about in Scripture. Now, I, I try to do about two to three miles a day when, when I'm in my season of exercise. How many of you know exercise is seasonal? <laughs> it is for me. For some of you, it's year-round. 
But for me, it's seasonal. And, and, and so in my season, I try to do two or three miles. And by the time I'm done running two or three miles or walking two or three miles, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. These guys are walking and the distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus is seven miles. And so as they are walking, they are talking to one another. And what is it that they're talking to one another about? We'll find out here in just a moment. They're talking about the life and the ministry of Jesus. They're talking about his crucifixion. And they're talking about the news of his resurrection. We go on and we read here in the passage. It says, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is the coolest I mean, here they are, they're walking down the road, talking about everything that has just happened to Jesus. Now understand, it is the third day, the day when Jesus rises from the dead. But they're walking down the road to Emmaus, having this conversation about Jesus, and then suddenly, Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. But notice verse 16, it said, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, this is God restraining their sight. This is not just them not seeing. It's not just them refusing to see. This, this is God here intervening at this point to keep them from seeing who Jesus was. And I'm so glad that he did because it makes the story so much more funny and humorous. Because as we read on, notice that Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? In other words, who killed your puppy? You know, why are you guys so bummed out? I can tell by the expression on your face that what you are talking about is not agreeing with you. What you're talking about is making you sad. And he said, what is it that you're talking about that has made you so sad, that has bummed you out, that has ruined your day? And then the one whose name was Cleopas. We only get one of their names. We don't get the other name. But the one who was Cleopas answered Jesus and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? In other words, what rock have you been hiding under? I mean, haven't you checked Twitter? Haven't you checked Instagram? Haven't you been on Facebook? Haven't you been watching Fox News or CNN? It's been all over the news what's been going on. Where have you been, man? What rock have you been hiding under? And then I love Jesus' response. He said to them, what things? As if he didn't know. He's only the one who experienced those things. He said, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then notice in verse 21, they said, but we were hoping. Now back up just a moment, because notice what they said in verse 19. They said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. This shows us a little bit of the despair that they are in, the discouragement that they're experiencing. We thought he was a prophet, but that was then. This is now. We don't think that anymore. And not only that, but they said we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day 
since these things happened. You see, they've attached all their hopes to Jesus. They've attached all their hopes to the words that Jesus spoke. They've attached their dreams. They've attached their destiny to everything Jesus said, to everything that Jesus said that he was going to do. But now they feel like their hopes have been dashed. Now they feel like their dreams have vanished. Now they feel such despair and even fear they're experiencing because they know that back in Jerusalem, anybody who was associated with Jesus is now being rounded up. And there's talk about even his followers now being crucified and so they're trying to distance themselves from it in other words they are running from the roar but then notice what happens in verse 22 yes they said certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive in other words these women gone cray cray they're hearing things they're seeing things That just doesn't add up. And then he goes on and says, And certain of those who were with us, those 11 disciples, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They're thinking, well, somebody evidently has stolen his body. This whole thing about a death, a burial, and a resurrection, it was just a myth. We attached all of our hopes to it, but now life has not turned out exactly the way that we thought life was going to turn out. But then Jesus speaks to them and says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus says to them, Listen, if you would have just read the scriptures, if you would have read what the prophets prophesied about all of this, then you would not be troubled in your hearts right now. You would understand that this is something that has been prophesied and promised even centuries before it ever happened. If you were looking through this event through the lens of faith, then you would not be troubled in your heart right now. And then he goes on and says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures, and I love this, the things concerning himself. I mean, Jesus is preaching a message about him. He's giving them a lesson about him. And he goes all the way back to Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned and how that God came and slew an animal and took the skin of that animal and covered Adam and Eve, which was a picture of what Christ would do for us so that you and I could be redeemed and forgiven from our sins. I believe that he even went as far as the Passover when they were coming out of Egypt and he talked to them about that lamb that was without spot and was without blemish and they took the blood from the lamb that was without spot and without blemish and they put it over the doorpost so that when the death angel came it passed over the house of those who were under the blood I believe that he went to Isaiah chapter 53 and he said he will be wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities and the chastisement of your peace would be upon him and by his stripes you would be healed he goes all the way back back to Moses up through the prophets explaining these things to these two men and then notice what happens then they drew near to the village of Emmaus where they were going and Jesus indicated that he would have gone further in other words they get to the place where they're going 
And Jesus says, oh, I, I didn't know this was your stop. I was planning to go a little bit further uh, unless. And isn't that the way Jesus is? Jesus is not going to force himself on anybody. But he is going to give you a window of opportunity. He is going to knock on the door. But you've got to invite him in. And so here's what they did. It says they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Now, you didn't get on those roads when it was dark. They didn't have lights on the roads and lines on the roads like we have on our roads today, on most of our roads today. <laughs> and so they know that bandits and thieves and murderers and robbers hide in, on these roads and that it was dangerous for them to travel at night. And so they said to Jesus, abide with us. It's evening and the day is far spent. And so Jesus goes in to stay with them. Now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And here we go. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And listen to me, from this point on, they are able to see life and they are able to see their circumstances through the eyes of a lion. And everything changes for them now. Because notice what happens. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. I love this. And he vanished from their sight. Is that not cool? I mean, come on. Now you do have to understand he's now in his glorified body. And I believe that in our glorified body, I believe that we travel at the speed of thought. That the moment you think somewhere, you can be there. And here Jesus is with them one moment and the next minute, poof, he vanished. I just think that's awesome. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I think it's awesome. He vanished from their side. Can you imagine just sitting with somebody and all of a sudden, they're gone? Verse 32, so they rose up that very hour. And what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem. When did they rise up? That very hour. They didn't wait until the sun came up. They didn't wait until it was daylight. What they feared before, they no longer fear. What they were running from before, they're no longer running from. They are now walking with courage. They are now seeing things through the eyes of a lion. So they rose up that very hour and they returned back to Jerusalem where they knew the lives of the followers of Jesus were being threatened. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying that the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. When they get back to those 11, they hear the 11 saying, hey, Peter saw Jesus alive. And here's what they said. They said, so did we. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to to them in the breaking of bread. Listen to me. What we see in this passage of scripture is we see a story that begins with men that are running from the roar, but at the end of the story, they're not running from the roar. They are running to the roar. Why? Because their eyes have been opened and now they are seeing through the eyes of a lion. I believe Holy Spirit this morning is challenging us. Run toward the roar. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. I can't help but think about Esther when I think about somebody who ran toward the roar. Esther was in the kingdom. She was one of the wives of King Xerxes. 
And it had been a while since King Xerxes had summoned for her. But there was a plot that was being planned by a man by the name of Haman who hated the people of God. He was like Hitler wanting to exterminate the Jews. And word got out about that plan. And so Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, goes to Esther and said, Listen, you've got to do something about this. It's up to you to go into the presence of the king and do something about this. She said, But the king hasn't summoned for me. And for me to walk into the presence of the king uninvited could cost me my life. And Mordecai said, Well, you just understand that if you don't do it, God will raise somebody else up who will. For who knows but that God has not placed you into the kingdom for such a time as this. And what did she do? She ran toward the roar. She went into the king's presence. The king extended the scepter of grace and granted her request to save the people of God. I can't help but think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that when the lion, the king Nebuchadnezzar was roaring and saying that if you don't bend and if you don't bow, we're going to throw you into this fiery furnace. But what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They didn't run away from the roar. They ran to the roar. I can't help but think about Daniel when Daniel was told that you can't pray to anybody but the king who was Darius at that time. And if you pray to any other god other than the king Darius, then you're going to be thrown into a den of lions. How many of you know that if God has to, he can shut the mouth of the lion that's been roaring in your life, but you've got to learn to run toward the roar. And that's exactly what Daniel did, man. He ran toward the roar. And God delivered him and God preserved him. Now, see, they could have ran from the roar thinking that they were saving themselves in doing that. But they would have actually ran into the death of their destiny had they run from the roar. I'm going to come back to this point in a minute. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48... We read about David. David's probably the best example of this of anybody that I can think of. And you remember when David was taking some supplies to his brothers on the battlefield. And he gets down there and he sees this giant, Goliath, taunting the armies of God. And the armies of God, the armies of Israel are over on this side shaking in their boots because Goliath would come out every day and roar. But then David shows up. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's keep messing with the people of God? Nobody else will go fight this giant, and I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to make a long story short. Nobody else will fight this giant. I'll fight this giant. He gets his sling and his five stones, and when Goliath sees him, he laughs. You've got to be kidding me. This kid ain't nothing but a boy. Well, I'm going to devour his flesh and feed it to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the scripture says that Goliath then began to move toward David, roaring. But look at what David does, that as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He didn't run from the roar, he ran to the roar. And listen, I think that that so startled Goliath. I don't think Goliath was expecting that. Because his roar in the past had always been able to intimidate 
the army of God. But this time, here comes a little boy, I believe, upon which the anointing of the Holy Spirit rests upon. And he understood that to run from this giant would be running from my destiny. And to run from this giant would be to run from the call that God has on my life. And so instead of running from it, he ran to it. And God gave him the power and the ability to take that giant down so that he couldn't roar anymore. Amen. Run. Run to the roar. If we're going to do that, how do we do it? Here's what we're going to do. Number one, you've got to reverse a fear. I said it already that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I do believe that God has given us a healthy fear. God has given us a fear that we don't let our kids play in the highway. Because we know that a car coming down the street is more powerful than our children. That's a healthy fear. It's a healthy fear to make sure if you're going to jump into the deep end of the pool that you know how to swim. Healthy, healthy fear. I'm talking about an unhealthy fear that the enemy uses. The Bible says that he is like a lion, that he roars like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And then the Bible tells us in John 10, 10, that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the whole purpose of the lion. His roar is to try and to intimidate us. And to get us to run from him. But here, here's, here's what I've discovered over 30 plus years in full-time ministry. And that is that if the enemy tries to bring upon me a spirit of fear. Here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to reverse it. I've learned to do the opposite of what I fear. Does that make sense? I do the opposite of what I fear. In other words, instead of running from it, I'm going to run to it. Do the opposite of what you fear. I had a fear of heights for the longest. I mean, I'd, I would get on roller coasters or whatever else. we get up to a certain height, man, I'd freak out. So I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Somebody told me last time I said freak out, I shouldn't say freak out, so I'm sorry that I just said freak out. <laughs> now I just said it five times. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seriously, I would. I said, you know what, I'm not going to allow this fear to keep me from experiencing some things that I'd like to experience. So I overcame that fear, jumping out of airplanes, bungee jumping, just whatever I could to face and to overcome those fears in my life. You say, well, that's a healthy fear, isn't it, Pastor, to not jump out of an airplane? <laughs> oh, when you're battling a spirit of fear. But we've got to learn how to reverse a fear. Do the opposite. Here, here's what I've learned to do. I've let fear help, help me sniff out. I've let fear help me sniff out what the devil's trying to snuff out in my life. Somebody needs to tweet that one. That one's tweetable right there. And that's what fear can do. Fear can help you sniff out what the enemy is trying to snuff out in your life. Fear can try to keep you from God's destiny for your life. Fear can try and keep you from what God has planned for your life. And so you've got to learn how to reverse that fear. Listen, 
Have you ever noticed that the enemy does not oppose things that don't matter? I can go to Chick-fil-A and get ice dream and never feel any opposition. None whatsoever. But if I go to Chick-fil-A to get a kale salad, everything in me is going to oppose, even though that's better for me. And you see, that's how the enemy works. He sends opposition to keep you from what's best for you. But he doesn't stand in the way of those things that will destroy you. And so if there is opposition that he is bringing into your life that creates fear, you just need to reverse it and you need to do the exact opposite of what fear is telling you to do. Reverse a fear. Here's the second thing that we've got to learn to do if we're going to run to the roar. And that is we've got to learn how to do old things, sometimes do old things in a new way. Sometimes it's not running towards, sometimes it's just staying put. Have you ever run when you knew you should have stayed put? Just, just remain calm. Just stand still. And you'll see the salvation of the Lord. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 8, we read the story of the demoniac of Gadara. You talk about a guy that was demon-possessed. Man, this dude was demon-possessed. Thousands of unclean spirits in him. And when he got set free, he wanted to go home and pack up his suitcases and join the evangelistic ministry team of Jesus and his disciples. But Jesus looked at him and said, no, that's not my plan for your life. What I want you to do is return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. Sometimes running toward the roar is just doing an old thing in a new way now that you're seeing life through the eyes of a lion. I, I go to Luke chapter 3. I love this. In Luke chapter 3, there's a lot of folks that's coming to be baptized by Jesus and by John the Baptist. And it says, even corrupt tax collectors, my goodness, they're having revival. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what should we do now that we're saved? Now that we've been baptized, now what's our next step? What should we do? Because what we want to do is we want to you know, just hitch our wagon to you and travel with you wherever you go. But Jesus looked at him and said, collect no more taxes than the government requires. In other words, be the best tax collector that you can possibly be. That's my call on your life. That's my plan for your life. That's my purpose for your life. Go back and do what you've been doing, but do it in a new way. Do it with a new perspective. And then it says this, what should we do as some soldiers? And John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. In other words, go back to being a soldier, but be the absolute best soldier that you can possibly be. Here's what I believe. I believe that sometimes when God opens your eyes and you're seeing through the eyes of a lion, it's not running toward the roar. He wants you to just stay put. He wants you to go back to doing what you were doing, but doing it with a new perspective and doing it with a new and a fresh anointing. Yeah. 
Amen? And then here's a third thing. Accept your mistakes and keep moving. Because I'm convinced what the enemy does with fear is he's trying to keep you from God's call, purpose, plan, and he's trying to keep the potential that God has placed within you from coming forth. Listen, I don't want to die with one ounce of potential left in me. I want every bit of it squeezed out. So we have to learn to accept our mistakes and keep moving because what the enemy will do is the enemy will tell you, well, you can't be used of God because you've made some bad choices in your past. You've done some not so cool things in your past that didn't please God. You've made some mistakes. You've had some failures. And he'll do everything that he can to discourage you and keep you from believing in yourself and believing that you can do what God has called you to do. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, and boy, our heart is good at that, isn't it? If our heart condemns us, what do we do? We understand that God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So I don't listen to what my deceitful heart says. I listen to what God says about me and who I am. So just get up and keep moving. And then here's the final thing. Remember eternity. What I want you to know about that is this. The opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. We're not going to be here on this earth forever. We've talked about how that this year is a year of the harvest. It's a year for us to go out and reap the harvest that God has prepared. It's ripe, it's ripe, it's ready to be reaped. And God is ready for us to be his laborers. And listen, we won't have this opportunity forever. This life as we know it is going to come to an end Jesus even talked about that in John chapter 9 when he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus was talking about was I'm not going to be here on this earth forever. And so I've got to finish the work that the Father has given me while I am here. It's the opportunity of a lifetime, but it's not going to last on this earth forever. And listen, we don't have forever on this earth to win our lost loved ones to the Lord. We don't have forever on this earth to fulfill the call, the plan, the purpose that God has for our lives. And so we've got to seize the moment now. We've got to seize the opportunity now. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.